We begin tonight's edition of Wild Sports Talk on this Monday, September 28th, 2020. We have two fill-in co-hosts tonight, but also, folks, some breaking news off the top of our show today. And that, folks, is the news from the NBA as the L.A. Clippers have finally canned and fired longtime head coach Doc Rivers. Good evening, folks, alongside two fill-in uh, fill co-hosts tonight, Trevor Williams and our man Shri uh, Anand. Cal McClure joining you folks here from San Diego. Uh, Trevor, we'll start with you on this. As mentioned, man, uh, this story breaking at about 1230 Pacific time today has also become the, the, the main hot story over in the NBA as, of course, we wait the finals to start between the Lakers and Heat. But Trevor, after a very long tenure in Los Angeles, California, Doc Rivers officially fired today by the Clippers organization. Trevor, uh, early reaction to the story is what? It's basically this. You're not supposed to blow a 3-1 league. That's that simple. You're an elite coach in that sense, and you have two star players in Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. You should, you're should. you supposed to get that done, and you're supposed to beat the Denver Nuggets and not allow them to take you to game seven. So this firing makes perfect sense in this scenario. He's blown 3-1 leagues in the past, but with this much talent, this is unacceptable for you to blow this 3-1 lead. And I don't know where he's going to end up going after this, but any team that's trying to rebuild, I think he would be a great asset too. But if you're trying to win the big one, I think he's out of his prime in that sense at this point in time. Shri, again, my, uh, man, breaking news. And we also welcome you on for your WST debut. Didn't think it would happen with such a big story breaking today. But again, man, that's Doc Rivers of the Clippers being fired by the organization that after a very long tenure, again, it saw the Clippers maybe in a way straight turn a very small corner, maybe turn a corner, kind of in a way get their name and brand out there a bit more in Los Angeles. But at the same time, though, man, playoff inconsistencies, roster turnovers, uh, a lot of guys with egos on this roster like Paul George, Lou Williams, Montrez Harrell. Shree, give us your thoughts about Doc Rivers um, um, firing today by the L.A. Clippers organization. I mean, I completely understand it from the Clippers' perspective, right? They had super high expectations coming into the season. They're favorites to win it all. Um, you know, Kawhi is just coming off a championship in Toronto. Um, and, and you know, there's so much hype around the L.A. Clippers, um, even though they've been a pretty good team, uh, you know, for the past decade or so. Uh, I never actually remember, like, a time when they had this much hype around them. Um, and, you know, it was supposed to be the Battle of L.A. That's what we were all looking forward to. And, you know, obviously blowing the 3-1 lead to the Nuggets, uh, who many people, um, you know, thought would get dominated in that playoff series is a big deal and was a big letdown for, um, you know, the Clippers organization and a lot of Clippers fans. However, I do think that it was a bit premature. Um, if I were the Clippers, I think I would have given him another year. Uh, I know he's not had too much postseason success um, with the Clippers, uh, you know, even in previous years, but being in the stacked West with teams like Golden State, um, you know, it's it's very difficult to win in the West. And I think we can all appreciate that. And I think that, you know, this year obviously was a letdown, but the previous years, you know, I don't really think anybody expected the Clippers to make too much noise. So I, I almost think that I would have given him another year, um, you know, Next year, same results. You know, obviously, uh, you know, we have to look elsewhere, but I think it's a bit, I think it's a bit premature, uh, to be honest with you. Yeah, you know, I think it's probably premature, but at the same time, though, I think, guys, that the Clippers are probably realizing, though, that they probably are running out of time here, I think, to really, to really, you know, catapult themselves back over the Los Angeles Lakers in regards to supremacy and being the talk of, you know, obviously a town with sports teams to distract everybody 
across the board, whether it's baseball, basketball, football teams, even now hockey, and even, you know, probably I still think the most fierce rivalry in all of LA sports is uh, Galaxy versus LAFC and Major League Soccer, believe it or not, because of the hostility between those two organizations and uh, stuff of that nature. But again, folks, the uh, breaking story today uh, in the sports world once more, Doc Rivers, longtime head coach of the Clippers, again, has in fact been fired um, by the organization after, again, uh, seeing the their ball club exit the postseason um, this year. And also, guys, I wanted to get to one comment real quick, fellas, that came before we went on air from a good friend of mine, John Tyler. John's a fellow uh, broadcaster and uh, announcer down here in Southern California. John wrote to me saying, either way, he kept his team afloat during the whole Donald Sterling situation around 2012, 2013, 2014. And Trevor, I will say, though, I give Doc Rivers respect, though, for how he really has, you know, carried himself in Los Angeles. And again, really kind of helped, like I said, though, help this franchise who's been scuffling for years, again, by way of two different cities, Buffalo, New York and San Diego, California, into a market, of course, that has been heavily all about the purple and gold and the Los Angeles Lakers. And Doc is a reason, I think, why the Clippers now maybe don't have a, you know, have maybe more, a bit more respect, and not a lot of respect, but maybe more respect amongst uh, basketball fans or sports fans in Los Angeles in regards, you know, that Doc took steps to make, you know, kind of try to make the Clippers feel like they belonged. You know, of course, the very controversial move of maybe covering up the Laker banners and the Lakers signage around the arena, whether it was that, whether it was his very emotional um, uh, 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 press conference after the uh, games were, in fact, boycotted by the NBA. And also, again, keeping the team relevant during a very troubling time with the ownership in regards to Donald Sterling and those remarks coming out uh, around the 2014 postseason, the, you know, the unity shown there by the Clippers and also by that club. Trevor, what perhaps, though, if there is a lasting legacy on Doc Rivers uh, with the Clippers, what would it be in your mind and why? I would say that Doc Rivers is a playoff contending coach. And, like, as, as the time you look at the Clippers, they were always in the playoffs, though they were not, like, your favorite to win it all. They were still a competitive franchise to duke it out compare compared to the like the number one seed, the number second, the second seed, and so forth. And they were able to bring the heat at times, but at the end of the day, he wasn't able to get past the big super teams that ended up developing in the West. And you can't give him that fault. That's his fault in that. Because you have, you know, Popovich and the Spurs, the Golden State Warriors, the Houston Rockets, and it's just like the West is stacked, as Shree said earlier, is like no matter how much star talent you had to get through, there was always an obstacle of an elite player or an excellent coaching staff that prevented Doc Rivers from getting over those humps. And I also want to read Isaiah's comments from my text from him earlier today. Oh boy. He said he's extremely stunned. He was extremely overrated and should have been fired. But I never in my wildest dreams did I think it would happen simply because Doc is hella respected and is a championship winning coach. And he was one of the biggest reasons why Kawhi chose to come to the Clippers. And that's a, that's a valid reason for him to come to the Clippers. But at the same time, you know, that's how it's just going to end up playing. It's like one year with Kawhi and then he gets released. So it's, it's a little sad, but at the same time, I think I would kind of agree with Sherry. He may need one more year to see what would happen if you couldn't get it done in that year, I think it'd be time to move on for sure. Shree, that does bring me to a point though, that Isaiah did bring up though. John's even brought up here on WST in recent weeks has been 
you know, especially in wake of we had talked about the Paul George uh, game seven rah rah speech after the game that was done with eye rolls and you know players kind of popping off at him in regards to you know well why are you saying this when you had ten points in the game and were four of seventeen shooting and you're practically hitting the side of the backboard you're looking like Callum McClurg playing basketball out there <laughs> but Shree you know what does this do though for the Clippers and especially though Shree in your mind for Kawhi Leonard a guy that's probably going to go into one more year with the Clippers try to get this franchise over the hump though. But now that his coach that he wanted to play for is gone, does this in your mind probably create rift now between the front office and Kawhi Leonard with him with seeing his coach get blown out, you know, literally weeks after being, you know, maybe a week or so or two weeks after being axed from the postseason? Absolutely, I think it does. Um, you know, Doc Rivers was an extremely well-respected coach, like Isaiah said, a championship-winning coach. Um, you know, and he was a big part of the reason why uh, guys like Paul George and guys like Kawhi Leonard were attracted to the Clippers. You know, um, historically, the Clippers would never get top talent like that um, to willingly come there and play in the shadow of the Lakers. So I think that honestly, Doc Rivers was one of the big reasons why Kawhi decided to come to L.A. Um, and now you look on the coaching market and you look at the names out there and I've, I've seen names like, you know, Tyron Lu or names like Jeff Van Gundy. And, you know, those guys just don't stack up to Doc. Um, I don't see those guys being able to step in, take the reins of this team and, and you know, really uh, make them play up to their potential. You know, you talk about some of the locker room rifts. We talk about some of the star players and, and you know, some of the large egos, let's say, uh, on the Clippers. And, and you really need somebody who's well-respected, someone that can – you know, steer the team in the right direction. And and I think that, you know, Doc was the man to do that. And and Kawhi probably thought the same and, and thought that he was playing with, you know, such a great NBA coach and, and a coach who's honestly, um, you know, very well respected and, and is some sort of a, um, you know, top coach in the NBA. So I, I definitely think that this plays into creating some sort of a rift between uh, – Kawhi and maybe even Paul George and the uh, the Clippers, so it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I definitely think that there's that there might be something that comes out of this though. Whether it's maybe you know negotiations for a new contract stall, maybe Kawhi forces his way out. Maybe I don't think Kawhi would be well, that would be that type of a player though. But you never know though at this stage when you've already won a couple of rings and you're like you know the only piece now at this time being able to uh, be there and, and also in regards to being able to be that guy for the Clippers organization. Guys, a couple of comments here real quick. First from Chardal, who runs saying, per what he's gathered, Woj is saying, Ty Lu, Jeff Van Gundy among the top candidates to perhaps replace Doc in Los Angeles. Um, we'll keep this uh, view and uh, we'll keep the trifecta view and uh, we'll just go around the uh, around the panel here. Uh, Trevor, we'll start with you. Yay or nay on Ty Lu as the next Clippers head coach? I'm going to go nay. Shree? I agree with Trevor. I'm going to go nay. <laughs> All right. How about Jeff Van Gundy? Trevor? Maybe I'm going to go with a yay on it. Not too sure, though. All right. So probably a push. Uh, Shri, how about you on Van Gundy? Yeah, I'm not sold on him either. I'm, that's going to be a nay for me. Uh, I'll throw a couple more, game, uh, more names out there as we, in fact, talk about who should uh, perhaps, folks, um, again, replace Doc Rivers. Again, that news coming up from Woj today of ESPN.com. Doc Rivers fired today by the L.A. Clippers. Uh, Trevor, just some names off the top of my head. Let's first start with Mark Jackson. Mm, that wouldn't, wouldn't sell me either. I feel like 
out of any of the coaches, I think you're going to need one more centerpiece around the Clippers to compare to like all the stacks that are around. I understand like Houston really only has two star players and then you have to face up with this stacked um, Lakers squad. And then you have the Golden State Warriors being healthy again. So you're definitely going to need a third player. So I think whatever coach ends up getting into that spot, can they bring that star third player to get them over hump? So that's what I'm really looking for in this coach, in this coaching pick. Shri, what would you say about Mark Jackson? I agree with Trevor. Uh, it's going to be a nay from me. Um, and, and notice how all the guys that you mentioned, I, I don't think they stack up very well to Doc Rivers. So that's one of the things. Why fire the guy when you, when you really don't have a great plan to replace him? Trevor, one more name that's probably stuck out in my mind recently. Um, uh, how about a Dave Fisdale for Los Angeles? I know, of course, it probably uh, it probably <laughs> rests a lot on roster, but at least hypothetically, just throwing some names out there, uh, uh, instantly shaking the head. No, uh, uh, what's the uh, scoop for you on uh, Dave Fisdale? I, I just don't think he's the coach to do it with that talent. And like, I feel like the Clippers are going to put so much pressure on him and be like, you got to get to the Western conference finals, no matter what. So I think that's what all these coaches, I guess, to do list is, can you get us to the Western conference finals? It doesn't mean that you have to win it. Can you get us there? I think that's the big question. Shree, yay or nay on Fisdale? It's got to be a nay from me. Um, you know, I, I don't, I, I agree with Trevor. I don't see him, you know, being able to control this locker room, being able to kind of get them in, to buy into the vision and, and really get them to perform at the highest level. Trevor, this one might be a bit of a wild card that maybe makes you fall out of your chair, perhaps. Mike D'Antoni. Whoa. Yeah, your name on D'Antoni to the other LA organization. I don't think that I don't think that I think you would have too much of rivalry by doing that if you got him from LA to go into the Clippers, like, oh, I guess we have. A visitor. <laughs> uh, Shree, what do you think about Mike D'Antoni? Is this probably a nay as well? Perhaps what do you think? No, it's actually going to be a yay for me. That's exactly who I was thinking of when, when Doc Rivers got fired. Like Trevor said, you need a coach that's able to bring that top talent to L.A., right? They need another piece. And who better to get that piece than Mike D'Antoni? We've seen in Houston throughout the years. You know, he's been able to attract a couple big-name free agents there. So, you know, if – I know scheme wise, you probably need to adjust, um, you know, to play in that D'Antoni offense. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that in terms of all the coaching that's available, I think he would be a pretty good fit for the Clippers moving forward. Uh, with that, though, he's on vacation. We welcome in our buddy Isaiah Leung from somewhere in my hometown of San Diego, California. Uh, Isaiah, good to see you, man. I know you wanted to pop in for a bit. How are we doing tonight? Hey, I'm doing great, guys. Uh, thank you guys for having me on the show or letting me crash the stream tonight. Uh, I'm right now at the beautiful, luxurious La Jolla Cove in San Diego, California. Um, I popped into the uh, La Valencia Hotel. I don't know if you guys know where that is, but the uh, La Valencia Hotel, just to, you know, use their Wi-Fi and, you know, uh, to, you know, make this uh or get into this podcast. I mean, the security guard over there is like kind of looking at me like sneakily because I told him like, "Hey, I gotta use your Wi-Fi for a bit. I'm not staying here. I'm just gonna use the Wi-Fi because I gotta do a podcast right now." So, I mean, I guess he's he's letting me, but he's keeping an eye on me right now. But so who knows? Like, 
if I say something really ridiculous, he might kick me out of the hotel. But uh, glad to be here, man. Uh, I'm enjoying my vacation. Uh, it's really beautiful here. San Diego is truly the best city in America, man. There's absolutely no debate. Uh, that's why it's called America's Finest City, sir, and just in case you're curious. Uh, but Isaiah, we've thrown some names out about maybe the new head coach of the L.A. Clippers again, uh, Fizdale, Van Gundy, Stan or, or Jeff, honestly. Uh, we've had Tyron Lue thrown in there. Um, and also, again, you know, uh, my wild card of it being Mike D'Antoni, Isaiah, maybe minus the roster as it is right now with George and Leonard probably in a bit of influx right now, who in your mind would be the best – uh, guy to succeed Doc Rivers for the Clippers for next season and why? All right. So um, for me, I think that you have to really ask Kawhi Leonard who he wants because if you hire a coach that he doesn't want, he has the right to vote the Clippers next season or after next season. So you have to really be careful with who you hire uh, in this coaching search. For So for me, I got a couple of names. Uh, Jeff Van Gundy is obviously one. Uh, you guys know how high I am on Jeff Van Gundy. I think he's a tremendous coach. I think that he will really help that Clippers team take the next level. Uh, he's a strong disciplinarian. X's and O's, he's really good. Um, he would be a great fit. Only problem with Jeff Van Gundy, though, is that he's been out of coaching for, like, what, eight years, nine years now? So he, he's if you're going to hire him, he's going to be like John Gruden. The big question is, can he adapt to the modern NBA, unlike John Gruden, who is stuck in 2002? So that would be the main concern with me regarding Jeff Van Gundy. Um, I would like, look, there's a guy that I don't know if a, a lot of you guys have heard about. He worked well with Kawhi Leonard when uh, Kawhi was in Toronto. He's not really of a, a well-known name, and that is, Phil Handy, the Los Angeles Lakers assistant coach. This guy, as I said earlier, he worked well with Kawhi. Kawhi likes him. Uh, Kawhi considers him like a second dad. So that might be an intriguing choice for the Clippers. But the only problem with him, though, is that he doesn't have experience. And I think to lead this Clippers team with the expectations that they have, I think you do need a guy that is a big-name coach and a guy that has lots of uh, head coaching experience. So that's a pretty good uh, idea, I would guess, or at least a good recommendation. A couple of comments, guys, coming in from Christy Wilson. I hope to heck she has a, a top fan badge. Jeff Van Gundy is my choice for Clippers head coach. One thing about Jeff, he's not afraid to get involved in fights involving his players' smiling face emoji. Uh, do we want a bombshell, fellas? I'm going to throw one name out there. I know he's been out of basketball coaching-wise for the past couple of years, but here's one that's going to probably make everyone leave the show. If Kawhi Leonard had his way, bring back his college coach, the one and only Steve Fisher from San Diego State University. We saw what he did, fellas, at Michigan for one thing and how he brought this SDSU men's basketball team to the promised land of becoming a very notable and even respected college basketball program. And Kawhi, I think him and Steve Fisher guys had one amazing relationship here in San Diego and that Steve Fisher, I know he's done a, been a college coach, the Fab Five, this and that. But Trevor, I mean, if Kawhi really had his way, I would not be a bit surprised if at least a phone call or a text message or an email is sent from Kawhi to Steve Fisher. What would you make about that and why? I think it would be like a very interesting to see if the Clippers give him a chance. Even if it's one of those scenarios, it's like a one to two year deal and they extend Kawhi Leonard's contract. 
that gives them the opportunity to bring in young talent and potentially build up a team that could become a dynasty or at least like a championship contending level team or a Western Conference Finals team. So I think it would be an interesting conversation to see, but who knows? It could unfold. It may not unfold, but that's really up to Kawhi to decide. Shri, I only, I only say Steve Fisher with like beta breath or very cautiously because Steve stepped away from coaching the Aztecs men's basketball program after a very successful run. Uh, I remember hearing stories when he first came here in 1997 or in the 90s. He literally had fellas all the stacks of student tickets because SDSU men's basketball fellas was absolutely dreadful for a long time here in San Diego. They played at the sports arena. No one came to the games. Uh, then he, of course, then they went to uh, the new arena on campus, then Cox, now Viejas Arena. And Shree, we know that Steve Fisher has a very great pedigree at Michigan, being a part of the Fab Five, other great programs with the Wolverines. Comes to San Diego, turns around a very mediocre, underperforming men's basketball program and built them into what they are now, where they've had sellout crowds at Viejas Arena, you know, big time student interest, media attention. And they've kind of, in a way, been like the other big game in town and obviously one of the bigger games in town at the college level. So, Shree, I know this probably doesn't work out because uh, Fish has been gone for a while from coaching. It's been, and also college to the pros. We know that Calipari didn't pan out, Patino didn't pan out, but Stevens panned out, as did Billy Donovan. But, Shree, if you're going to let your star player like Kawhi Leonard dictate your franchise's future, wouldn't you at least maybe let him? give a call out to a coach that he knows very well from his past? Yeah, I would definitely give it some thought. Um, I would give it consideration. Uh, you know, he's definitely had a proven track record at multiple college programs, you know, turning them around. And and honestly, at this point, if I were the Clippers, I would I would do, you know, anything to, to keep Kawhi Leonard and, um, you know, not lose him in the upcoming seasons or, or you know, not even risk losing him. So if Kawhi Leonard – you know, stood on the table and say, hey, you know, Steve Fisher um, is a coach that I really love playing for at SDSU and, and you know, let's try bringing him on. Um, you know, as a Clippers organization, you know, I think it's great to bring in a coach with, you know, what, 30 years experience um, and, and really have him, uh, you know, lead the team. The only concern being, um, you know, I know he had some some time at, at Michigan, uh, which is a big time college basketball program, and and he 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 had some really really good SDSU teams. But you know his last twenty years of experience has been in the Mountain West Conference in college basketball, right? How does that translate to you know the Western Conference? Um, you know when it comes time to the playoffs and when it comes time to playing teams, uh, you know like the full strength Warriors, like the Rockets, like uh, you know the Lakers. So that would be my only concern. But, you know, if Kawhi, like I said, if he stands on the table and says, hey, this is, this guy's a great coach, you know, I played with him in the past, I think he'd be a great uh, person to, to you know, help us fulfill our potential and, and win that championship. Uh, I would definitely give it some consideration. Isaiah, what do you think about this? You know, I, I for one, think that it's probably a shot in the dark. You know, Steve's been gone uh, from coaching basketball for the past several years just by virtue of his son is battling ALS um, and battling some other um, health problems. And Steve's at the way to be with his family uh, for those reasons given. But, you know, like I said, Isaiah, for a franchise and organization like the Clippers who are starving to, you know, finally punch Big Brother in the face, like, you know, punch the Lakers in the face when it counts the most. They had their shot this year and blew it with that 3-1 lead against Denver. But Isaiah, though, if in fact you want to keep Kawhi Leonard at least in the fold for the for the future to come, would you at least, you know, let Kawhi maybe try to give 
you know, his former college coach a call or say, hey, would you, you know, be considering this job? But again, though, he's been away for a bit, though, because of family and uh, some health concerns with his son. But Isaiah, would this be a bad idea for the Clippers to at least, you know, uh, let this in a way kind of sizzle and see what they could do about maybe getting Steve Fisher out of retirement? I like the idea, Callan, but the reason why I don't think it's going to happen is because I just think he's too old. Like, no disrespect to him. He's a great coach. But right now, I believe he's, what, like 82? I might be wrong on that. But uh, he's – for me, I just, like, don't think he can handle uh, the day-to-day -day grind of the NBA. You know, we know how college is uh, different from the NBA. NB the NBA is way more stressful than uh, college basketball. So that's the, my only concern with the uh, potential possibility of hiring Jeff Fisher. I mean, not Jeff Fisher, uh, Steve Fisher. One of those two. They're, they're both, they were both great coaches <laughs> at one point in time. I, I, I'm sorry, man. I'm, I'm in LA right now. My brain has like all the LA coaches mentioned. Who knows? I might mention Sean McVay as the next Clippers coach by this point. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> that is, that is freaking gold right there. A uh, couple of thoughts here, guys, real quick. Uh, Chrissy says, Count, I'm not going to leave the set. I like the idea. And my man Casey King says, Clip should give the job to Mr. Mark Jackson and Jeff Van Gundy's not a bad hire either. But again, folks, that is the big story of the day, though, as mentioned already, uh, that the Clippers have again fired longtime head coach Doc Rivers after a very uh, lengthy stint as their head coach in Los Angeles. Uh, with that, fellas, game six of the Eastern Conference Finals came and went last night with a big game from Bam Adebayo. The Heat are back in the NBA Finals for the first time in six years after uh, dismantling the Celtics last night in game six. Uh, Trevor, um, you know, I said this morning, buddy, that it's rare to find an athlete who looks at their previous game performance and just comes out and spills the beans and says, you know what, that loss is on me. I need to do better in this category, help my teammates out and be a better, you know, and play better than I did in this previous game. And Bam goes up there and shows why he's out there doing what he does again, having a monster game last night. And again, the Heat win the Eastern Conference title and head back to the finals for the first time in six seasons. Trevor, overall thoughts on Miami's play in the uh, series and also more than anything else, though, about Bam specifically, though, again, where he really kind of took that loss in game five hard and came out and looked amazing in game six versus Boston. Just looking at the Miami Heat, I think they just came ready to play in that series from start to finish. They were like the underdogs throughout most of the playoffs, but hey, they were sitting more of like... Can I have a pina colada, please? Isaiah's <laughs> <laughs> having himself a good time there. <laughs> My bad, fellas. I forgot to mute my... <laughs> Trevor, please continue. All right. But yeah, the Miami Heat were like the fifth or sixth seed. So they were they were in the midst of the pack. So like them going up against Boston, them even upsetting the Bucks, it just showed that they were just saying, hey, we have nothing to lose here. Let's just ball out. And that's what they ended up doing in this series. And it just showed like Boston got almost like shocked almost and kind of put them behind the eight ball. And they were just being uh, like underdogs for the rest of that series. The Heat were in the literally in the driver's seat for that playoff. So I think it's nice to see the Heat in the playoffs, but we all wanted a Lakers and Celtics final at the end of the day. Uh, for one, Isaiah, uh, a gentleman named Rupert Holmes called. He wants his song back that was in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1, uh, just so you know about pina coladas. 
uh, and Shree, more so about the game as well, man. You know, like I said, though, it, it's rare nowadays, man, that we see athletes who have a miserable performance that they, you know, kind of say, you know, hey, I suck tonight. I need to play better, do this and do that better. And, you know, nine times out of ten, Shree, I think that a lot of times athletes kind of shy away from the media when games and after they have a bad game, they don't want to talk about it or relive it. They want to get out of, you know, out of harm's way. But Bam Adebayo, though, took that responsibility of like, look, here's what happened. Here's what, you know, what went wrong. This loss is on me. It's not on Jimmy. It's not on Garan. It's on me for not playing to my full potential. And he goes out there and shows, you know, that he can bounce back from a poor night again with that 30 plus uh, point performance last night. Uh, Shri, overall thoughts on Miami and Boston and more so again, the Heat going back to the finals for the first time in six seasons. Yeah, props to the Miami Heat. Um, you know, it was, a, it was a tough, hard-fought series. Uh, but, you know, in the end, uh, they they showed that they were the better team. Um, and and Bam Adebayo, like, I think that was a great moment of leadership for him. Um, you know, he's he's one of the younger, more promising players on the Heat. And the Heat, you know, have a lot of young players on their roster, um, along with some, you know, experienced uh, players like Jimmy Butler and some other role players like, uh, you know, Iguodala and Jay Crowder. But really, you know, Miami's core is their young players. Uh, I'm looking at, you know, Kendrick Nunn. I'm looking at Tyler Hero and Bam specifically. Uh, and and I think Bam kind of solidified his position as the leader among those, you know, young core players uh, by, you know, taking that responsibility after the game and, and you know, putting it on himself and, and really producing well uh, down the stretch. One thing I will say is I kind of disagree with Trevor on the fact that, you know, the Heat were in the driver's seat the entire time. Yes, I do agree that, you know, the Heat ended up winning uh, six games, but in my mind, you know, the Celtics were leading for most of those games, if I remember correctly. Um, they blew, I think, three or three leads out of, out of the four games that Miami won. Three of them, uh, you know, the Celtics had a significant lead in the second half, and Miami was able to, you know, put together a stellar, you know, fourth quarter and and really take control of those games. So I, I just think that, you know, pro like I said, all props to the Heat. Um, you know, they, they showed that they're a complete team. I think that some of this definitely lies on Brad Stevens. Uh, you know, some of the inbounds plays that I was watching weren't great, you know. Some of the plays I remember in game one to end the fourth quarter, uh, you know, he just had uh, Campbell Walker or Jason Tatum standing at the top of the key, you know, dribbling the ball for 10 seconds and taking a bad shot. That is – that's on the coach. You know, you see them almost blowing a 2-0 uh, lead against the Raptors and doing some of the same stuff, you know, giving up leads, um, you know, taking up too much time, you know, taking bad shots – and you don't really see them improve, uh, you know, from their series versus the Raptors to their series versus the Heat, even when they were down, you know, 2-0 and then came back and won that game three. I thought, you know, that might be a turnaround for the Celtics, but they they got into some bad habits. Yesterday uh, in the fourth quarter, I remember vividly at some point, they were outscored 26-6 to in, in a nine-minute stretch. Now, right. that's horrible. In nine minutes, if you get outscored by 20 points, especially in the fourth quarter of an elimination game in the Eastern Conference Finals, some of that blame has to go on the coach. And as much as I love Brad Stevens and as much as, you know, he's he's really brought this Boston team as far as they've gotten, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be solved with this team. And I think that, you know, Brad Stevens at times needs to put his foot down and say, you know, we're not going to 
um, you know, we're not going to keep shooting threes with 20 seconds left on the shot clock. You know, when the game is ending, we're not going to keep the ball in our hands for 15 seconds and then take a bad shot. Like these are things that, you know, the coach should be telling the players you're not, you don't do that. And if you do that, you know, there's going to be consequences for it. And I just don't see enough of that from Brad Stevens as a Celtics fan. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people have their thoughts about Brad Stevens and the play calling maybe down the stretch in game one, game two. They had a chance to win both those games and uh, whatnot going forward. Uh, Isaiah, how about you for your thoughts more so about Miami and Boston in this Eastern Conference Finals matchup this year? Um, yeah, for me, I thought that it came down to the fact that Boston just couldn't finish games. Because when you look at the games that the Miami Heat won, especially games one and two, the two games that Miami won to set the tone in this series, Boston had the lead in the fourth quarter, if I'm not mistaken. The Boston Celtics just choked it away both of those two times, and they also choked it away last night in game six. Like, they tied it at 86, and then they just went cold the rest of the way. So this was the Boston Celtics um, series to win, and they blew it. Like, I completely agree with my guy Stephen Wang right here, who comments this was uh, the Celtics Conference Finals to blow, and they blew it. Uh, this was exactly their series. They should have won this series because they were the better team than Boston. They were the more experienced team than Boston, and they just ultimately couldn't get it done. But, hey, I'll tell you guys this. Miami, you got to give them a lot of credit. You know, a lot of people were sleeping on them the entire year. A lot of people thought that they needed that superstar to get into the finals. But Jimmy Butler proved that, you know, he's not a talk, a cancer in the locker room. It's just more of those teams that why he was bad there. Uh, Tyler Hero has been amazing. Duncan Robinson has stepped up big time. Bam out of bio is breaking out in this bubble. Goran Dragic, he's looking like he's 26 again. Just uh, just you got to give the Heat a lot of credit, man. I can't wait. For game one of the NBA Finals, it's going to be fantastic. The Lakers, uh, they got to come in into this game um, ready to go. And they got to come in like that. Uh, this series is not wrapped up because if they come in with the mindset that, hey, uh, we're going to beat Miami. It's a foregone conclusion. They're going to be quickly down 1-0 or 2-0 because this Heat team, they're gritty. They play with a chip on their shoulder and they just play with nothing to lose. With that guy, Steven already has his prediction and hasn't changed. Lakers in five, 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 and five for Mr. Wang. Couple of comments, guys. Um, let's see here. First, uh, David B. Stotts joining us from Cleveland. What's good, Cal? Good to see you as always, man. I hope you have a top fan badge too, like Christy and James do for tuning in every so often or as often as you can. Uh, Shareable Steve did write in, don't worry, Shree, the Celtics will be back here next season. I think they will be, honestly. I mean, with the on the outside or outside of maybe Milwaukee, if they can keep that team together, that the Celtics will, in fact, be back as time um, uh, does, in fact, move on here. Also, a quick game break, courtesy of Christy. It is 27-10 Kansas City after three, starting the third quarter. I might win a MI6 fantasy football matchup finally for the first time all year. And also, Stephen is also saying, I agree with Shree. Honestly, the Celtics were the better team until game six happened. And Christy with a bit of a low blow, maybe. Yikes. Celtics choked it like the Falcons did. I don't know about that, but definitely all right with that for sure. And Chardol counters Stephen. Heat in six. Six. Six and six for his prediction. I'm going to go Lakers in five or Lakers in six. 
With that, though, fellas, the baseball postseason is right around the corner starting on Tuesday. As, of course, guys, we still know guys had some drama on the final day of the regular season with four, with four teams vying for two playoff spots in the National League last uh, uh, on Sunday. San Francisco, Philadelphia, uh, Milwaukee, and also uh, the Cardinals still vying for that playoff spot. Trevor, I know a lot of people have probably said their piece about this baseball se season being like a dumpster fire, you know, with all of the bickering and the uh, stuff going on for the past few months. And then, of course, COVID outbreaks happened over the course of the first couple of weeks. But yet, though, Stephen, or uh, Trevor, I should say, because Stephen just commented to reply back to Shardall about his thoughts on the uh, NBA playoffs. But Trevor, is that even with all the setbacks baseball had during the course of the offseason into the negotiations and even into the season with the COVID outbreaks and all the other stuff going on, they made it to the first finish line. But the marathon is not done just yet. Though with now the postseason coming up, though, again, folks, here's a quick uh, look and uh, a quick gander, I should say, at how, in fact, the playoffs will work here real quick. I'll do my best to uh, tell you folks how it's going to work with that, though, folks. It is much like the uh, NBA or NHL postseason. The top eight teams are in the playoffs this year. One, eight, two, seven, three, six, four versus five as usual. But as you uh, see, folks, once you get past round one, you're seeing San Diego, Los Angeles, and Arlington and Houston. That becomes bubble environments, folks, for the AL and, uh, the AL and NL for the postseason this year. But all of the top-seeded teams, so the Dodgers, the Braves, the Cubs and Padres, and then the Rays, A's, Twins and Indians all get home games. All three games are being played at the higher seeds home ballpark. And then, of course, they will play on and into bubbles as the remaining part of the postseason uh, goes on until it culminates with the 2020 World Series in Arlington, Texas at Globe Life Park, the new home of the Texas Rangers. And again, the Padres, Dodgers, Strohs, and the Rangers all hosting the, uh, the baseball postseason this year with that in mind fellas um trevor we'll start with you more so let's get overall thoughts first trev about baseball this season i know man very difficult year pandemic spring training cut short uh you know offseason marred by controversy with the astros uh, scandal coming out uh three years later uh of course the pandemic of course the infighting amongst the uh, owners and players and you know a, a late july start of 60 game season all of it done with uh, geographical interleague and uh, divisional matchups. But Trevor, baseball survived the first part of this marathon. Now to part two. Trevor, thoughts on the over, uh, your overall thoughts on the baseball season as a whole before we in fact dive into all the postseason matchups. I guess my first thought is this is like a 30 for 30 for baseball from all the crazy background stories that you would get in a typical 30 for 30. But like when we first started, there was no really true protocol for the players. The players went out to clubs. There was coronavirus cases, games were getting canceled, and people were saying, are we going to finish this season at this point in time? And then later, I guess maybe like the, almost like 15 games in, they come down with some harsh guidelines and say, hey, if you break these protocols, you're basically done. We're sending you home. So it was like, all right, players locked down, owners started to lock down more now. And then you ended up eventually somehow magically finishing this season without being in a bubble environment, which was somewhat impressive. But at the same time, this could have all been, could have been prevented and games couldn't have been postponed. But let's see what they do in the playoffs because this is where the you're down to the wire and you can't really cut games and postpone games as teams try to advance through the postseason. So 
it's all or nothing at this point until they get to the bubbles where they can really, you know, quarantine everybody and keep everyone in a safe bubble environment. Shri, I know that the biggest gripe maybe about the playoffs going to the bubble format was, you know, well, what do the, you know, what do the top seeds or division winners get? They don't get home field advantage or tell me if they don't get a home, you know, home field advantage for being the top overall seed or being the higher seed. But at least though, I think though, Shri, it was a good constellation prize that, Hey, okay, you're not going to get home field advantage, but Hey, how about this? You get all three games of the first round at your home ballpark. You don't have, you, you don't have to travel to, Atlanta, you don't have to travel to San Diego or travel to St. Louis or travel to Chicago or whatever. You get all three games in your home ballpark for you having the top seed or winning a division title. But Shri, with all the utter lunacy, all the banter, all of the nonsense that baseball went through, though, they still, though, managed to get through the entire regular season without too many out-of-control issues. Yeah, you had a couple the first couple weeks and you had the new protocols put in place for like, if you're caught... You're done for the entire season. Just go home and never be heard from ever again for the remainder of the season. So, Shree, thoughts more so about the baseball season before we back talk these matchups. Yeah, um, you know, I, I totally agree with Trevor. You know, for a long time, it looked like we not we might not make it here. Uh, I remember, like, the opening weekend of baseball writing an article on MI6 uh, on our website. Um, you guys should go check it out in retrospect. Uh, it was talking about how Manfred needs to get a grip on, you know, what's going on in baseball and, and he needs to come out with some, you know, criteria for the players to prevent coronavirus outbreaks moving forward, and and to really have it be a safe environment for play, players and coaches, and and to actually finish the season. And and looking back at it, you know, Manfred, who got a lot of criticism through the first few weeks, has has done a great job, and and the league has done a great job in terms of, um, you know, protecting their players, protecting their coaches, um, and really. Um, you know, moving forward with the season. And, and they're kind of the first uh, sports league to go out and, and actually try a non-bubble approach, right? So far, the season has not been in a bubble. And uh, and I think that that's definitely helped, uh, you know, leagues like the NFL and college football, even to an extent, kind of move forward with their plans. So definitely a big props to the league. And, and you know, I, I think that with the 60-game season, it was, it was very exciting. Um, you know, I uh, it's always fun to have a lot of baseball games, but, you know, 162, I always thought was a bit much. And this year kind of gave us a preview of how a season would look with fewer games, you know, with some of those games mattering and, and with, you know, more teams making the playoffs. And I thought it was a win, win, win. You know, um, we saw, like you said, a lot of drama in that last weekend, um, which we usually do see, but, you know, more so this year, because there were so many teams that were competing for that, uh, those six, seven and eight spots that you don't traditionally um, have in the MLB playoffs. And and I thought that, you know, this year was definitely a great season for baseball to kind of try out some new rules such as, you know, the runner on second uh, and, and you know, the DH in the in the NL. And, and I thought that a lot of those changes were actually made the game a lot better and a lot more watchable um, as a fan. So I, I think it was a great season for baseball. And, and I think that they'll take a lot of these lessons moving forward as well. Isaiah, what do you think about this, man, in regards to how, in fact, baseball has been able to navigate this course? You know, and I know that I know that a lot of us out there that are baseball fans, myself, Isaiah, Shri, of course, big, uh, big baseball fan as well. Even our buddy John Mathis, who's not here tonight as well, is that we all were concerned, I think, because of how the baseball season started off. You know, we had, you know, two weeks then we had the outbreaks amongst the Marlins and the Cardinals. We had a lot of other issues plaguing the game. 
So Isaiah, what do you perhaps make though in regards to how baseball has made this work so far over the course of this season? We have two Isaiahs apparently in this stream. We'll come back to him in a moment here. I think he's having some technical problems from that hotel he's broadcasting from uh, in La Jolla, California. So we'll uh, hopefully get Isaiah back on track here in just a second. But with that, though, uh, Trev, let's kind of go through some of the playoff matchups. Again, folks, we'll put the uh, graphic back up here on screen for you folks. Again, Yo, uh, can you guys uh, hear me? Uh, we can hear you now. Uh, go for it, bud. What do you got for us? Yeah, I just wanted to say, um, you know, it's was a great season, very exciting. I'm so thankful to all the players, the coaches, the executives, everybody for, you know, following the protocols and actually getting this season through. Because if you guys uh, didn't remember, this season was in jeopardy after the first two weeks of the season, after the Marlins outbreak so and the Cardinals outbreak as well. So we didn't know we were going to finish this season. So I'm very glad that we finished the season, and I can't wait for the playoffs. It's going to be super exciting. But, fellas... Uh, I got to head out. Um, I got to go enjoy my pina colada. It's, you know, on the table next to me. Uh, good luck with the rest of the show. It was great talking to y'all, man. You guys are doing a great job. Trevor Shree, thanks for holding it down while I'm gone, man. And, uh, you know, um, yeah, I will come back. Hopefully, you know, all tanned and stuff after I'm coming back from L.A. And, you know, good, good luck to you guys. Oh, by the way, before I go, uh, I'm ahead. I'm heading over to duke's restaurant to get myself a nice meal tonight so uh if you guys want to meet me there and get some autographs i'll be over there <laughs> <laughs> it's a great place by the way i will say that but isaiah uh heading out to enjoy a great meal at a great spot here in san diego uh with that though trev it's trying let's uh reverse course and kind of go back to where we were again here's the uh playoff bracket again folks like mentioned just like the nba one eight two seven three six four versus five uh, Trev, as you kind of look this over, I know that we have a lot of intriguing teams in this more. So I don't want predictions, though. But Trevor, give me maybe the one series you're probably watching very closely uh, as we, in fact, begin the postseason uh, on Tuesday. Who you got for us and why? I'm feeling the Yankees and the Cleveland Indians. It's just like the four and five seed. No matter what you look at the playoff brackets, the fifth and fourth seeds are always fun to watch. So this series is going to be one of those you know, one and one who can win game three type of scenarios. And then the, on the other conference, I would have to say San Diego and St. Louis would be the other one to keep your eyes out and see how that game unfolds. So those are my almost two picks for the MLB playoffs right now. Death, taxes, St. Louis beating San Diego in the baseball playoffs. Three times I've had to sit through the Cardinals beating the Padres uh, uh, in the postseason. So, Shri, uh, Trev's got Padres, Cardinals, and Indians, Yankees for maybe his two uh, probably most viewable uh, playoff series in the opening round. Shri, how about you? Maybe other than the Braves, who else is a part of the uh, uh, picks for you for the baseball playoffs for series to watch come tomorrow and Wednesday? Yeah, um, I'm actually going to go with, uh, in the AL, I'm going to go with uh, Stephen Wang's uh, Minnesota Twins against the Houston Astros. Um, so I know, you know, there's a, there's a lot of stories about the Astros in the off season, you know, can they recover? You know, obviously they had a lot of injuries and, and, you know, the season did not maybe go as expected for a lot of Astros fans who, you know, expected them to continue to be at the top of the AL. Um, and now for them to be, you know, the sixth seed and, and playing in against the twins who've been a consistent, uh, you know, playoff team yet, you know, they haven't had much success in the playoffs. Um, 
So I, I think it would be really interesting to see, like, can the Astros continue to be their dominant selves? Or is this going to be finally the season when we see the Minnesota Twins, you know, advancing deep into the playoffs? And then on the other side, um, I think I got to I gotta uh, go with the Cubs and the Marlins. Um, <laughs> the Marlins, another team like your San Diego Padres that, you know, have not been in the playoffs for a long, long time. And, uh, you know, they, they, ha- they had a very interesting season, um, you know, with, with all the COVID outbreak and, and all the news surrounding them as well. And, and, you know, the Cubs have, you know, had some issues in the playoffs as of late since they won that World Series. So it should be interesting to see, are the Marlins for real? You know, can they go into Chicago and, and beat the Cubs? Uh, that should definitely be an interesting series to watch as well, I think. A uh, couple thoughts here, guys, from the viewers. First, David writes in about the Indians and uh, his Indians and Yankees. Bieber versus Cole, heavy <laughs> breathing. Talk about one hell of an opening game pitching matchup between Bieber yeah. and Cole. Uh, Christy says, uh, I must find a new team to root for in these postseason as the Red Sox are not in it, sadly. Uh, Chardol is giving us Braves Yankees in the World Series with New York winning it, much like 1995, sadly there, Mr. Uh, Shri uh, and in regards to that one. David also says uh, the first and only time the Rangers will hold or host a World Series <laughs> at the new ballpark, at least. LOL, he's saying. And also, Stephen says, I just have one prediction for the season uh, for Matt's, uh, for Matt. The Twins will not only beat their arch nemesis, the Yankees will also knock out the A's just like they did with the Moneyball A's in 2002. And also, Stephen says, sports betting advice, bet against anything that Chardell <laughs> says. <laughs> and Chardell replied back, I hate that Stephen has to always go against me. And Stephen also says, glad that the postseason is being is happening on his new TV provider, YouTube TV. Uh, thanks to Martin and uh, Amir for helping him out there. And also, Stephen says, we finally have a worse predictor than Isaiah. Oh, I don't know about that. I still think Isaiah takes the cake for me. And David, in regards to uh, Trevor picking the Indian series, hell yeah. And also, Stephen says, Shri knows what he is talking about. Braves and Twins are two teams that cannot be counted out as well in the postseason. I'm going to go, guys, in the American League, Tampa Bay. You know, the, the race for the longest time, fellas, have been that one, like the little engine that could, 2008, Joe Madden, you know, all that stuff. And, you know, for a city and for a team, who has nobody at their games because of the ballpark they play in. I think it's very awesome. You know, they have, and also as well, Blake Snell throwing very well. Tyler Glass now throwing very well. Kevin Kiermeyer, Hunter Renfro, Manuel Margot, uh, you know, G-Man Choi. You know, so many, you know, young studs on this ball club is what intrigues me in for the, the race. Then the Blue Jays fellas, they've had a worse year. They've had to play in Buffalo this year at their AAA stadium because of the uh, uh, implications with the pandemic and the border being closed, Pittsburgh says, now nah, we don't want you. Baltimore said, now nah, we don't want you. They have to go to their triple A stadium in Buffalo, upgrade the whole facility, and still they get in as the eighth spot. And again, though, being active buyers as well at the trade deadline, again, getting a lot of help in the rotation, a couple of guys in the bullpen, and of course, a great lineup with you know so many you know great former players like a Craig Biggio and Dante Bichette and Vlagrio Sr. and all their kids playing on the Blue Jays and, of course, those kick-ass powder blue unis. So I'm looking at Tampa Bay and also with uh, Tampa Bay and um, Toronto. And, of course, as well, fellas, obviously Padres, Cardinals, but also not just that, though. 
I agree, though, with Marlins and Cubs with Shree, because I have already seen Sarah Spain of ESPN. She put a tweet out last night from someone that she quote tweeted that said, uh, the, the quote tweet read from someone else, it's, uh, the tweet read, I believe, um, already making my plans to mute the word Bartman in preps of the <laughs> because you know damn well 17 years ago when this last happened, the Marlins beat the Cubs because of the Bartman play that they won the World yep. Series over the Yankees. So I'm intrigued by that one. And also as well, fellas, uh, I, I, I have to, you know, uh, also put the spotlight on the L.A. Dodgers, you know, best team in the National League playing a very scuffling Brewers ball club. But I think, though, so, guys, that the Dodgers, like we have said, you know, we've seen, guys, this is a team that sometimes crack under the postseason pressure. I don't think they do it in round one. I don't I don't even think they do it in round two. I look look at it at maybe being another CS loss or maybe even a World Series loss. I look at this, fellas, and I thought about this very hard. If the Dodgers face the Reds in the NLCS, I think a lot of people would go with the Reds because of their rotation being probably that much better right now than Los Angeles in regards to Bauer, Sonny Gray, Castillo, other arms, and even maybe the lineup as well, Joey Votto, Nick Castellanos, Eugenio Suarez, a lot of young uh, kids in there too. So obviously, and also the Padres and Carlos, like I already said as well, and David said as well. I heard Altuve and his 217 batting average <laughs> blocking for plastic trash cans in the dugouts to stop teams from littering in the dugouts. Uh, I believe Rich Eisen, fellas, had a stat today that his average fell 127 points earlier this morning. So definitely, you can tell that uh, if you're not cheating or not trying, apparently, but also if you get caught, you do, in fact, have to face the consequences. Uh, Trevor, we'll go to you now on the other baseball subject today. <laughs> Trevor, give us your most surprising and most disappointing ball clubs for the 2020 Major League Baseball campaign? I will say the most disappointing is the Philadelphia Phillies. They could gotten into the playoffs, but they end up screwing it and blowing themselves out of the water. So that is very disappointing in that sense. And then I'm thinking the most surprising, I, I shouldn't say surprising, but impressive, I would say, is the New York Yankees, Yankees that they ended up starting slow in the beginning, but they ended up building up and being consistent and getting back into the postseason. All right, Shree. So we got uh, Trevor rolling with the Phillies as most disappointing and the Yankees as most surprising in regards to them being able to rally back from a very rough season, rough start, again, a very long losing streak. So many guys on the injury list again for the Yankees. Shree, how about you? Maybe your, uh, for your most surprising and disappointing ball clubs for Major League Baseball this season. So I'm going to go with a pair of, you know, Eastern Division teams, I guess, NL East and AL East. I'm going to go uh, with the most disappointing being actually one of the one of the teams that, you know, Trevor said was the most surprising, which is the Yankees. Um, you know, obviously they've made the playoffs and, and that's not a disappointment in it, in and of itself. But after being a heavy title favorite, I understand they had some injuries and I understand they had some turnover in that roster. But after being heavy championship favorites, uh, you know, in the preseason to being the five seed um, is, is a significant drop. And, um, and, you know, they have some work to do to to make it far in the playoffs. And and I'm going to say that they're, you know, they definitely uh, fell short of expectations. Even with those injuries, I think they fell short of expectations. Um so I'm going to put the Yankees on there. And then the other team I agree with, uh, Trevor, is the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, have some interesting stats here about the Philadelphia Phillies that, that you know, I was looking up earlier today. Uh, 
you know, they, as you know, they were swept in a three-game series and lost seven of their final eight games to fall off the NL postseason grid. Um, just a week earlier, they were in full control of the seven seed, and then they ended up being the ten seed in the in the NL. Um, and you know, this is just more of of a pattern that's been established for a long time. Obviously, they have a nine-year postseason. Um, like they haven't made the postseason in nine years. Um, they went 13 and 17 in September of 2020. They went eight and 20 of, in September of 2018, and then 12 and 16 in September of 2019. Um, so I really think that this has become more than just you know a one-off occurrence for for the Philadelphia um, Phillies, and I think that this is a far larger problem that that you know has to be solved by that organization. Um, in terms of the most surprising, I'm going to go with uh, your San Diego Padres, uh, Callan. Who would have thought the San Diego Padres would have, I think, was it the second best record in the NL? Unfortunately, they had, yeah. Unfortunately, they had uh, the Dodgers in that in that division. So, um, you know, they could only be the four seed, but but still very impressive in that division to get the second best record um, out of all teams in the National League. And, and they definitely played uh, – a large part um, in the, in the trade deadline, really improving their team there, uh, picking up, you know, Mitch Moreland, picking up uh, Mike Clevenger. So some big, big players that can have a large impact uh, in the postseason for them. And and I think that their front office has done great over the past few years um, to build that team up. And then in the AL, I'm going to go with uh, Isaiah Leong's uh, Oakland A's. Um, you know, I, I will definitely admit to saying that there's no way the Oakland A's were going to win the AL West. Um, I was under the impression that, you know, the Astros were going to win and they're going to win, um, you know, pretty significantly. However, like I understand that they had injuries and, and they had some other extenuating circumstances with this offseason that they've had. But, God, you can't take anything away from from those Oakland A's, you know. Uh, they dominated that division and and they definitely deserving of, of a – number two seed in the AL. So couple comments, guys, coming in as we asked our viewers the, for their take on surprising and disappointing ball clubs. Let's first go to uh, Mr. Matt Soltis, who says most surprising, the White Sox, most disappointing, the Phillies. David, most surprising, the Marlins, disappointing, the New York Mets being in that category. Steven says most surprising, the Padres, and most disappointing, the Philadelphia D-Leagues, not the Phillies, the D-Leagues for the Phillies. And also Matt says one more, the Marlins as well, being a very surprising ball club as well. So, again, uh, folks, we'll keep, uh, we'll keep the uh, show rolling with the, that question again about your most surprising or disappointing teams in Major League Baseball. Uh, fellas, for surprises, I have to go with the Padres for one. As Shree said, second best record in Major League Baseball. And they played 600 ball. Practically all season, they finished with a 617 win percentage. That is their highest uh, win percentage in franchise history. I believe I saw a stat last night that if they, it was a, it was over a full season, fellas, the Padres would have won 93 ball games, and that still would have been five wins shy of the all-time club record for most wins in a single season when they won 98 in 1998, their last World Series trip uh, in franchise history. Also, I think for surprises, I would throw the White Sox in there. I think a team that I think a lot of people – New was probably going to be better this year, probably not that great quickly. But, guys, Jose Abreu, Tim Anderson, Luis Robert, Lucas Giolito, 
uh, amazing season and a very fun division between the Indians, the uh, the White Sox, the Twins, all battling it out for the, uh, the top spot this year in the AL Central. And I think, guys, well, with disappointing teams, I would agree with Philadelphia and also with New York, uh, for the Mets at least, in regards to the Mets. Uh, once more, a team that just can't seem to get out of their own way. They're being sold as well. Uh, as we in, as we in fact speak, and also as well with the Phillies again, overpaying for Bryce Harper. Man, oh man, that contract look, looks worse and worse and worse as time goes on. And Matt uh, writes back in to say White Sox are a year earlier than expected, or everyone else uh, anticipated for sure. And also the Padres as well, giving the San Diego chance to believe finally in their baseball team after fourteen uh, young, uh, long yawning years uh, with the uh, Padres scuffling and also something else though. Again, very fun team, and probably I'd say not because I'm a Padre fan, but definitely I think Trevor and I and uh, Shri would agree probably the most exciting team and energetic team to watch in all of baseball with Tatis Jr., Eric Cosmer, Manny Machado, and of course Clevenger, um, and the whole cast and gang here in America's finest city. With that though, Trevor will move now, man, over to the NFL Week Three, wrapping up here tonight with the Chiefs and Ravens. Uh, Trevor, give us maybe a couple of games that you probably were watching or uh, games that stood out to you for week three in the NFL season? Um, for me personally, one that stood out the most was the Falcons. They were in the league again, and they end up blowing it. They didn't, couldn't score any more points, sadly. But, hey, your Chicago Bears are now 3-0, <laughs> Callen. So, you know, kudos to you, and congrats on that. Josh Allen the Buffalo Bills, they stepped up in a tough game against the Rams and pulled through, so that's – Great for him. He's making a nice MVP campaign in himself, though I don't want to, you know, mess up my hot take on no BS with Baker Mayfield winning MVP. But Josh Allen is definitely one of those potential contenders in the, in the race that he has in the first three seasons. And my last but not least game that I was very upset about was the Minnesota Vikings blowing it to the Tennessee Titans. Steven, come on. Captain Kirk is letting us down yet again. <laughs> Uh, where's Isaiah to seeing the Vikings lose again? Am I right? Am I right? Am I right? I think I'm right here. <laughs> David says real quick, fellas, surprised by the Diamondbacks were as bad as they were. They went 9-21 and 21 on the road, barfing face emoji. I believe that them and Pittsburgh were the first two teams eliminated from playoff contention with how poorly their records were this season. Also, guys, I forgot, though, one more disappointing ball club I forgot to mention. The Los Angeles Angels for a fifth straight year, a losing season. Also canning their GM, Billy Epler, after the uh, sweep at the hands of the Dodgers on Sunday. And again, guys, this will be Mike Trout's third different GM in his time in Anaheim, California. So definitely the Angels are also a big, a big disappointment. I, I've said, guys, for the longest time, if the Angels could pitch, they'd be a much better ball club. But my goodness, stop spending the big money on Otani, Pujols, Hamilton, and uh, Rendon get some better arms in that rotation in the bullpen and maybe you'll be back in the postseason. But Matt Soltis wanted to reply back real quick to Trevor. I don't blame Kirk for the loss. I think the defense is just very weak. And Steven says laughing a lot at Trevor. Stop it already. You know, the Vikings are tanking for you. So don't stab them in the back. Uh, <laughs> I seeing the Vikings lose again, though, in case he agrees with me, says uh, by saying the angels need pitching and also says Trevor Williams, Greater than Kirk Cousins, no longer the sixth man is Trevor Williams. But Shrey, so we have uh, we have Trevor going with the Bears coming back by virtue of them benching Mitch Trubisky in this game. I need to point out they benched Trubisky for Nick Foles, probably the most reliable backup quarterback in all of football right now, and he's done it again and delivered last night. 
and also as well um, that he's also going with the Vikings losing again to Tennessee by a point this time. And uh, I believe there was one more game he threw in there as well about um, uh, New England, I think, winning, or was it Seattle? I forget, but he had another game in there as well. Uh, so, Shree, give us your thoughts here about uh, maybe games that stood out in your mind for week three of the NFL season. Yeah, um, you know, the game that stood out the most to me was uh, last night's game, uh, you know, the Saints versus the Packers. Um, I think it was a huge win for the Packers going in, going down to New Orleans and beating the Saints team and arguably a worse loss for the Saints. Um, you know, we, we saw them lose to uh, the Los Angeles, uh, Los Angeles, Las Vegas Raiders last week um, on Monday Night Football. And then yet again, they come back on Sunday Night Football at home and lose to uh, the Green Bay Packers. And with that division, the way it is with the, with, you know, Tom Brady and, and the Buccaneers there, uh, you know, actually the Panthers aren't looking too bad to start the season either. Um, and also, you know, uh, we all love to make fun of the Falcons, but you know, they're a very dangerous team and, and they can, they can go off at any point. So in that division going down to a one and two record, is, is a concern for the Saints, and I think it definitely um, is time to start thinking about, you know, can they continue to win these uh, close games and and can they continue uh, to make the playoffs in that division? So I thought that was a great game. Um, another game that I'm going to point out um, is the Seahawks versus the Cowboys. We saw yes. Russell Wilson come out and ball last week uh, against Cam Newton and the Pats, and, 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 you know, Newton and the Pats kept it close and, and had a chance to win it at the last second. You see the same exact thing back-to-back weeks with Seattle, and, and Russell Wilson is a bad man. Uh, the man can throw that football. You know, he had four touchdowns last week, five touchdowns again this week, um, another come-from-behind, you know, touchdown drive, and and the Seahawks defense were able to stop the Cowboys' offense from scoring. I thought, you know, that was the most entertaining game of the week, and and I think that that was definitely a big game uh, for the Seahawks going up 3-0 and uh, maybe not as consequential for Dallas given that um, the NFC East looks as weak as ever. So, But but definitely the most entertaining game of the of the night, I think. Oh, definitely for sure. That was a shootout again. Both Dak Prescott and Russell Wilson playing their tails off yesterday against the Seahawks win the game only because Prescott keeps that final drive and that final play alive. Exactly though it's intercepted by the Seahawks in the end zone. To give them uh, give Seattle their uh, the victory, guys. A couple of them though that I do in fact want to talk about though. A couple of them that were surprising in my mind that stood out though. How about Buffalo nearly blowing that lead against the Rams? They get that late touchdown by Josh Allen to beat uh, the Rams in a very great game there. The Bengals get a tie because they wanted to punt the football with the Eagles in overtime. Very lackluster by both sides in that game in my mind. Twenty three twenty three tie. So Joe Burrow Joe Burrow gets his first NFL tie before his first NFL victory. That's got to suck for the young QB up there in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, also, I think as well, guys, I think I agree, though, guys, with Trevor Moore. So the Falcons become the first team, I believe, in NFL history to blow multiple games of having a lead of over 16 points in back-to-back weeks. How is Dan Quinn employed still? I don't know. If, it, if this happens for a third straight week, fellas, you got to cut this guy loose. And also, they, they lost, though, to... Uh, for one, Mitch Trubisky, but also, again, the most reliable backup quarterback in the NFL, in my mind, and Nick Foles, and the Bears are somehow, someway, 3-0 and so far on the season. And also, guys, real quick, Casey, again, about the Angels. They got a good offense and a good manager in Joe Mann, but they definitely need pitching. And David wanted to remind us, guys, 
The Angels dealt Clevenger for Vinny Pistano <laughs> many years ago. Stephen wow. about Shree. We are both toast for our Brady uh, Cousins bet. I might as well be rooting for the Timberwolves to come back from a three <laughs> against the KD Warriors instead. Uh, Matt says, laughing a lot at DK Metcalf, though. R really, what in the world, you know, what in the Deshaun Jackson is going on <laughs> that play? That's what I really thought when I saw the highlights. That's exactly Matt. what I was going to say too, Deshaun Jackson. <laughs> uh, and also, and also, uh, David is back. Big surprise. How about Lamar Jackson, eleven to twenty-two, sixty-two passing yards in the fourth quarter of this game against Kansas City at M&T Bank Stadium? With that, though, Treb, for you, in fact, get to the tail end of our show. How about uh, biggest surprises and disappointments for the NFL through three weeks of the NFL season? I am personally disappointed in. The Ravens right now. I have them for Pickums to win. We both did. See, you and I are you and I are here having this giant beef with Stephen Wang because he's because Stephen is basically doing this, fellas. He's picking as Vegas in our pickup right now, and Trevor and I are like teaming up to take down Stephen. So Trev, we'll let you go on, man. But you know, you and I keep jogging for position, and Stephen is right. You know, so close on our heels. We got to keep him out of first place. And uh, being Vegas is one of the hardest things any individual can do. Oh, like, believe me. If we're able to beat Vegas by the end of the season, me and Callie can say we are now the house and we can start winning things like Vegas. <laughs> so that's that on that. But I was very pleased with Tom Brady stepping up in fantasy this week. I had him start. So it was great to see him get 20 points in fantasy in a PPR league. I'm saying that's the Tom Brady I know and love. And compared to his last week, eight points, it was rough. I was like saying, who do I start as a quarterback? I have Carson Wentz. And then we saw him this week against Joe Burrow. He is god-awful. So I'm going to think about either trying to trade him and trying to trick somebody and getting rid of him or just completely dropping him all together and finding a backup quarterback. And then my final disappointment for the week will probably be the Chargers losing to the Carolina Panthers after coming from a close loss to the Chiefs last week. And I'm like thinking, oh, I have the chance for the Chargers to come back and, you know, win, at least be like a decent, you know, seven to nine this year or something like that. Don't make the playoff, but, you know, start making the tra transition in the right direction with the new quarterback. But that's not the case. So I think they're probably going to go like four in like 12 this year. So sad noise and just roll with that. The Chargers were oh so close. The hook and ladder nearly worked if it wasn't for Austin Eckler taking his eye off the ball when it was dished off by Keenan Allen. Uh, Panthers went on the road. Teddy Bridgewater wins that game for Carolina at SoFi Stadium in Inglewood. Real quick, guys. Um, Steven says the real quick, the Ravens are coming back. David has his. His Browns have a winning record for the first time in six years. Ric Flair, woo, baby. And also, Steven, about me and Trevor and Pickham. Trevor and Callen, greater than Vegas, for now in the fine print. And also he compares us to Kyrie and LeBron trying to take down the 73 and nine warriors. Sorry guys, but uh, Draymond is not getting suspended this time around. He says, uh, Shri, how about you? Biggest uh, surprises and disappointments on the NFL season through three weeks of the year. Um, so the biggest surprise I think has to go to uh, your Chicago bears. Um, you know, after their season, like we saw them have last year, with high, high expectations. I remember I was in Chicago for Labor Day weekend 2019 and, and you know, tickets to their opening game at Soldier Field against the Packers were selling for, you know, $400 a pop. And, and, and every one of my friends in Chicago was saying, 
hey, this is the year. You know, this is the year we're going to make the playoffs. This is the year we're going to take that next step. Uh, Mitch Trubisky is finally, you know, pulling it together and playing well. Well, this year they're 3-0. and um, You know, they've had they've had to bench Mitch Trubisky, and, and I think they're going with Nick Foles moving forward, and I think that's the right decision. Um, and, and they're in a great spot to get that playoff uh, – get into the playoffs for that second time uh, after they did in 2018, was it? Um, so so they're definitely one of the big surprises. And, and you know, one of the other big surprises I'm going to go with are the Buffalo Bills. Um, Buffalo is also 3-0. Um, they are in sole position atop the AFC East. Uh, I don't think it's going to stay that way. But I personally, you know, was not on the Buffalo hype train uh, to start the season. I didn't. I didn't know if you know they could put together two back-to-back seasons where they were they made the playoffs. They haven't done that, you know, since back in the days of Jim Kelly and 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 their runs back then. So I, I wasn't buying Buffalo. You know, I thought they would have a disappointing year this year and and maybe slide back to eight and eight or seven and nine, and and maybe make this playoff with the last seed or or you know squeak squeak into the playoffs or or miss it barely. Um, but you know, I stand corrected. Uh, th- they're three and zero. They're a legitimate threat to win the division, and uh, and I think that it should be a very exciting um, sequence of events to watch down the stretch. To watch this New England team with Cam Newton playing the way he is, to match up against his Buffalo Bills team with Josh Allen, like Trevor said, playing like an MVP candidate. This should be a very exciting season in the AFC East to see which one comes out on top. Um, and now for biggest disappointments. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, a team I mentioned earlier, the New Orleans Saints. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we see them coming out and beating Tampa Bay, um, you know, pretty convincingly in week one. And you go ahead and think, wow, the Saints, you know, ha- Tom Brady and the Bay- Buccaneers had all this hype with uh, all these new players coming in and, and and all this excitement around Tampa Bay. And you thought, you know, the Saints just came in and, and, and wiped all that out week one. But through three weeks of the season – we look in Tampa Bay is ahead of uh, New Orleans in the table. Um, and, you know, Tom Brady looked great yesterday uh, throwing the ball. And Drew Brees uh, looked re- really good as well. But, you know, you do see that um, this defense is definitely uh, deteriorating for the Saints. What was one of the best defenses in the league last year with, you know, they were able to win those tight games with Teddy Bridgewater and and be really an elite defense. I think they've taken a huge step back this year. And, and it's really concerning moving forward for the Saints and uh, especially the fact that, you know, they're one and two um, going into, the, like I said, the competitive division where, you know, anybody can win on any given Sunday. And the last team I would say are a disappointment to me are uh, the New York Jets. Now, I know no one expected the New York Jets to uh, to to win anything this year. No one expected them to compete. But I also don't think anyone expected them to be as bad as they are. Um, they are by far the worst team in the league. Uh, I don't know what they're doing with Adam Gase. You know, they keep, they seem to get worse and worse every year rather than rebuilding. Sam Darnold, I don't think he's the answer. I think they need to, you know, throw everything out and and start fresh because just just looking at them, it's just embarrassing. And and you know, as as a Patriots fan, even though they're my rivals, I feel for Jets fans and and I wish that you know they could come back to competing and, and making the AFC East a better division. Um, but yeah, right now, complete dumpster fire in New York. Definitely for sure. You know, Adam Gase probably on people's radar to be fired eventually as the, as the season progresses. A couple of comments, guys, real quick. 
Casey says his biggest surprise, Chicago. Biggest disappointment has got to be the Saints. David says biggest disappointments, Houston, Minnesota, Atlanta. Uh, guys, my biggest surprises, uh, real quick, first, David did, in fact, wrote in about the Texans. They get a mild pass because they faced the Chiefs, Ravens, and Steelers, but at least beat the Steelers, damn it. Of course, David, <laughs> being a uh, live-and-die Browns fan, uh, I remember a long time ago when Dave and I first, uh, David and I first met, he had a rant in his vehicle uh, making fun of the terrible towel uh, and making fun of the Steelers fan base. Definitely got a good kick out of that one for sure. Uh, guys, I definitely have to go with Chicago, not because they're my NFL team, but surprising though that they did this pretty much with maybe subpar quarterbacking over three weeks, but also that famous Chicago defense keeping this team in ball games. Yeah, they got Swiss cheese by the Falcons yesterday, but they, you know, obviously did a wonder to, in fact, keep other teams off the board. You know, they let, they, you know, they did let, let a 17 nothing lead against the Giants go by the wayside just last week. And then, of course, they have to come back and win. But again, all reliable, Nick Foles being the quarterback, at least on, uh, through next week, probably for the foreseeable future. Finally, long overdue, Chicago fans can rejoice that Foles is now the quarterback and not Trubisky. But they are, though, a very, big, a very, a very, very big surprise, though. I will say, though, guys, big disappointment, Minnesota. I know a lot of people like myself picked them to win the NFC North, but, man, 0-3 start. That Cousins contract looking pretty bad now as more time goes on. And also, I would agree, though, with David that um, – Houston's also a big disappointment because Deshaun Watson is your quarterback and he can't. And right now, guys, that Hopkins trade looks very bad right now for Houston. They're 0-3 to start off the season and also has to be New Orleans. I mean, a Drew Brees-led club, it's 1-2 and two, and losing at home where they what they very seldom do is lose at home and they lose against um, the, uh, the Packers last night on Sunday Night Football uh, on NBC. So I definitely agree with that. And also real quick, uh, Steven says Minnesota doesn't count because they are tanking for Trevor and Atlanta doesn't count because they are trying to move to San Diego with the LA Clippers. No, they are not trying to move. They didn't have that brand new stadium built for them. <laughs> FC. They're not moving out of Mercedes-Benz Stadium yet because of a own resource. But I, I think though, guys, Dan Quinn, if he if if they do not win next week, I don't see how this guy has a job by the time week four does end. And also, real quick. Uh, Casey says, I agree about Minnesota. They are a big disappointment as well. And I picked them too to win their division as well. So sadly, right now, sadly, Captain Kirk, uh, is not really, uh, <laughs> he's not, even, not really, uh, uh, um, uh, prospering very good right now. This, I can't do it, Sally. I can only do this, but uh, he, he's not looking good right now. The ship is going down from outer space. But with that, though, folks, we'll now segue into our final thoughts for tonight's show. All right, final thoughts time here, folks. As mentioned, Cal McClure joined alongside the fill-in co-host tonight for the show, Trevor Williams and Shri uh, Anan. Again, both John Mathis and Isaiah Leung. Though Isaiah did join us, though, for some reason from a hotel here in San Diego, California, as he's on vacation, trying to get away from everything, but yet has to still come in and give us his two cents. Uh, Trevor, we'll go to you, buddy. Final thoughts for tonight's show and other things included. What do you got for us? I wonder how Isaiah's margarita is going right now. That's that's what I'm kind of curious about. <laughs> but besides that, um, I was happy to be on the show. It was very exciting. And, you know, tuning in to No BS this week, we could be talking about hot sauces because I found a post on Buffalo Wild Wings, how they rank all the college football teams, the top 25, but treat it as equivalent to hot sauce. So you may see that on No BS this week as we – try to dis dissect the college football top 
25 rankings. I know Martin Garcia, our resident real estate agent slash graphic designer slash website creator slash website enthusiast uh, up in Fresno, challenged us to a challenge of eating those uh, the blazing challenge from B-dubs. I'll consider. Maybe. We'll see what happens. Um, but with that in mind, though, uh, Shri, how about you for final thoughts? I mean, it's great, though, man. Of course, thanks for joining us. And, you know, we don't, a lot of us don't get to work together on the, on the network. I mean, we group chat a lot and we always call each other and roast each other about terrible picks or how our team <laughs> are doing. But uh, nice to have you aboard for the night, man. And uh, more than anything else, though, how you doing or, uh, you know, how's it been? And uh, we'll give you uh, we want your uh, final thoughts for tonight's show or anything else in general. Yeah, definitely. Great to be on the show with you, Callan. Um, it was fun talking, you know, sports with you guys. And and hopefully, you know, I can uh, I can hop back in some other time so uh, we can continue to do so. Um, you know, another final thought is uh, uh, I know uh, David, I think, is your friend who who was uh, ranting about the Steelers. You know, next time in Ohio, maybe you should grab a beer and uh, and uh, rant about the Steelers together because I have some of the same rants uh, prepared <laughs> about Steelers and, and the fans. So, uh so I think we'd get along quite well. Um, uh, but, but in, exactly. Uh, but in all seriousness, uh, I'm who I am so excited for this next few weeks that we have coming up at sports. Uh, how often do we get NFL, you know, NBA finals, baseball playoffs, and college football all coinciding at one point in time during the year? You know, it felt it felt like you know for a few months when the pandemic started that. You know, we're never going to get back to normal and we're not going to have sports for a long time. But, you know, here's the payoff. We 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 sat there for those three months, uh, not able to watch any sports, not able to talk about sports. I guess we could still talk about it, but not able to talk about any current sports. Um, but now is really the payoff, in my opinion, uh, where, you know, literally every day, all day, you have tons of great matchups and, and great must-see sports TV. So, Super excited for the few weeks coming up and super excited to uh, to discuss it with you guys uh, further on on the MI6 network. So uh, tune in, guys. Definitely for uh, folks as well. Real quick, folks, a developing story from the NHL. The Tampa Bay Lightning, for the first time since 03 or uh, 04, are Stanley Cup champions for the second time in franchise history. Thanks to Casey for relaying that information. But again, folks, Tampa Bay is the hockey capital of the world, Stanley Cup champs heading to St. Petersburg, Florida, as they win their second cup in franchise history. Their first one coming in 03-04 against the Calgary Flames. And also, Stephen is saying, and Shree, how often do we see the Ohio State Buckeyes go 9-0 against Michigan? How often does that happen, man? I don't know. Um, probably not too often, but but as of late, you know, I'm, I'm sure Trevor can attest to this too. Not quite, not too much of a rivalry. And and I'm not going to be as cocky as Stephen and, and – uh, and uh, you know, proclaim that we're going to go nine and zero against Michigan. But but all I could say is it's it's uh, it'll be great to watch Ohio State dominate Michigan again. Should that happen? And with that, folks, one more game break here. Cowan is heading towards his first fantasy football win of the season. Pat <laughs> Mahomes, Mahomes greater than Drew Locke. Holy smokes! <laughs> is that really? Well then, uh, thanks to Mahomes, I'm uh, assuming with the score being what it is, I'm going to be getting my first win of the year finally, thanks to Mahomes coming through in the clutch. Uh, it was either Mahomes or Mayfield as my quarterback. I kept Mahomes in there for the third straight week, but 
that is where we're at, folks. I mean, it's so we're, I'm so desperate for wins. We have game breaks now about fantasy football <laughs> on the MI6 Sports Network. And Trevor and I still trying to hold off Steven right now in regards to uh, uh, the ongoing efforts to beat Vegas in our pickums as well. But of course, folks, my final thoughts as usual. Thanks as always, folks, for tuning in. And also, again, folks, like I said, though, but again, thanks to everyone who, again, is tuned in more so for the Tuesday, Saturday, and Sunday late night program, the night shift, folks. We had a very great show last night. Sally, we had some technical problems that derailed us, uh, that knocked us off the rocker yesterday with a two-part show, but still had a great uh, viewership, great responses. And of course, folks, catch the program. And for that matter, folks, here's the entire schedule. Again, we'll do this every uh, uh, time we wrap up the program, folks. But again, here's our entire network program schedule again. WST every Monday and Wednesday, the night shift Tuesday, Saturday, and Sunday. Fan response on Thursday, and of course, no BS on Fridays. All those times, folks, are Pacific are, uh, Pacific time. So again, uh, definitely uh, tune in. Also, folks, keep supporting us if you can via the website, via uh, social media, and also, of course, do so as well um, via Anchor again, where I believe it's every 100 views or 100 listens, we get a dollar in revenue from your listenership. And thanks to our Loyal fans, mainly Christy Wilson, James Gonzalez, David B. Stotts for being here tonight. Of course, also Shadal for being here as well. And Steven said, guys, great show. It was fun. Uh, wrecking havoc in the comic section as usual. We need to get uh, Shareable Steve back on the program eventually as more time goes on. With that, though, folks, for Trevor William filling in for John Mathis and Shri Anan uh, pinch hitting for John Mathis, my name is Cal McClurg saying goodnight. Here from San Diego, California is also Isaiah LeYoung. Also popping in earlier in the show from the uh, hotel here in La Jolla, California. Not too far from where I live here in San Diego, but of course, folks, we'll see you back here for the night shift on Tuesday. WST bookend episode on Wednesday, and of course, fan response on Thursday. No BS on Friday, then the night shift to recap. All the uh, utter lunacy of the sports world on Saturday and Sunday. For Trevor, Shree, John, uh, Isaiah, myself, and then the entire cast and crew here, folks. Thank you, guys. Uh, for joining us. And uh, by the way, guys, David Stotts, great show. Would love to join you sometimes. We'll see if we can work some, uh, may maybe work a guest phone line in maybe, or a guest call in line as time goes on. We'll talk to, uh, to Steve about that uh, in a post-show meeting, probably within the next hour or so. With that, folks, take care. Have a great rest of your night. Stay safe and stay healthy. And so long. Thanks for joining us. And sayonara. We're out of here. Bye-bye.